Well, happy Monday to you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is John. I serve as the youth director here at Reclamation Church in Plano, Texas. And I'm very excited that you've decided to listen in today because we are wrapping up our series, Keep Your Chin Up. We're going to be hearing from Pastor Tom Wilson as he talks about the God of more. And if you're following along with your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. If this is your first time hearing about the Reclamation Church, or Reclamation Church Podcast, I invite you to visit our website, re.church. There you can find more things like our prayer request tab, you can give, you can listen to past sermons, and find out what we are about here at Reclamation Church. That being said, I'm going to let you listen in to Tom's sermon. I'll see you guys after. All right. Well, how are my family and friends online doing? You guys could do us a favor and maybe just shout, or Facebook, or whatever, just good and do that. That's okay. Um, hey, uh, it is exciting to be here. Um, I'm glad I am here, um, and I mean that really sincerely. I, I'm thrilled that I could be here to be with you guys uh, both in person and online, and for those who may not know, I've been with this church for about 19 years, and it's really interesting. I started thinking about this. My first Sunday at this church, back then it was Crossbend Church, uh, now it's Reclamation. Um, back then, my first Sunday was the Sunday directly following 9-11. And it was a different world. It was ministry was a different style, or we did church a different style. We saw an influx of people coming and asking, what's going on, and where is God? And you kind of expect that, and kind of started thinking through what we've been through uh, during that time. We've been through recessions. We've been through natural disasters. We've had many, many weddings. We've had many, many funerals, right? We've had social injustice that's taken place all throughout those 19 years. And through all of it, We've seen God's faithfulness, and what we've learned is change is part of life, and whether we like it or not, it's here. And so you take all of that, and you look at 2020, and you kind of scratch your head and go, but this is just a different level. I mean, this is like, when is the craziness going to stop? This goes on and on and on. And you think about it, in today's world, we see negativity. And so we thought how important it would be for us to do a sermon series called Keep Your Chin Up. And we can find joy in the Lord even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of a storm. God is still there and we can find joy in him. And so it's interesting that we really kind of find ourselves in this weird paradox, right? On one side of the coin, you see negativity and you see job loss and you see the economy tanking and you see this health craziness going on. and You see people dying All of that negativity builds up, but then on the flip side of the coin, there's been good that's come out of it. I'm willing to bet you're spending more time with your family, whether that's a good or bad thing, more than you ever have before. You're like, okay, enough is enough, right? But you have family game nights together, at least we do, and you have come together and you spend time together, and we find ourselves sitting around the dinner table again. That kind of got lost a little bit when things were going crazy, right? So that's a good thing. Um, What we also see, and I love this, and you don't see this in the headlines at all, But the local church globally has been forced to change the way they do ministry. And so even though we have this room with, you know, I'm going to guess 20% of our congregation, we have the rest of the church watching online, and then we have so many other people watching online because now inviting your friends to church is as simple as sharing an event on Facebook saying, come watch my church with me. It's just a whole different world. But what we see now, and here's the incredible thing, is globally people are coming to Christ now more than they ever have before. That's an incredible thing. So many good things are happening in this world around us. Uh, We have people, I have people in this church who have come to me 
and they've never said this before, and I don't mean this bad, but they come to me and say, hey, you know, we're doing really good financially. If there's anyone in the church who's struggling, we want to help with that. That's incredible. God's working through them to make a drastic difference in someone else's life. And so it's an amazing time to be here. And what I want to talk about today is the fact that there are really two different mindsets, uh, even in the midst of this pandemic. Okay, so if you're at home, do this with me. If you're in the, in the room, do it with me. One is like this, give me a clenched fist. And the other one is an open hand. There's two different mindsets there. This clenched fist is this idea that there's never enough. It's going to run out. There's this idea of scarcity. And then there's this open fist. And this mindset is, well, God provides, God's going to give, God's going to give more. And that's what I want to talk about today, because the way you look at those mindsets, the way we think, listen to me, this is incredibly important, dictates on how God uses you in this world. He can use you either way, but when we're like this, man, God just flows through like something powerful. And so I want to talk about that this morning, this idea of, here's the two words, scarcity Okay, and abundance. And so you may say, well, what does scarcity mean? I'm going to put it on the screen behind you guys. It'll be on the screen for you guys at home watching. Scarcity, here's a very quick, easy definition. Scarcity is the state of being scarce, right, makes sense, or in short supply, a shortage. It's this mindset that there is not enough. And so we hold on tight to it, thinking, well, there's not going to be more coming, so I've got to keep this to myself. There's a prophet in the Old Testament, a prophet named Haggai, and I'm going to read a scripture to you that maybe you can relate to this. Here's what he says in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. He says, you have planted much, but you harvest little. Okay, we may not get that analogy unless you're a farmer. But then he says, you eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put clothes on, but you can't seem to get warm. And then this one, I'm guessing if you have kids especially, you can tie into this one. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Can I get an amen out there from all my parents? See, that's what happens is you're like, wait a minute, that was... I've got several pairs of shorts that I only wear at home because they're covered in paint and nastiness, and they're my work shorts. And those shorts, you know, some of them have a, a hole in the pocket. And so you forget about it. You're walking along, like, wait, where are my keys at? And you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's this one with the hole in the pocket. So you got to go back and find where you drop those. Haggai is saying, you know what? So your income comes in, your paycheck is deposited in, you go to the bank and cash it, and before you can even get to using anything with it, it's like, where did it go? He's saying this is what happens, and it's this idea of this, this cycle. It's not even a mentality. It's a cycle that God gives, and before we know it, it's gone. In fact, I want to put on the screen kind of an illustration of this cycle to help us understand. This is called the scarcity cycle. Now, we know that God provides everything. Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. He gives us everything, and by the way, that is our income. That is the paycheck that we get at the end of the week. But we also know that as he gives, here's what it shows, we tend to consume. And so that makes sense. He gives, we consume. But then as it starts to lack and we're getting more and more and we're eating more and more and we're taking more and more and we're consuming more and more, and all of a sudden our nest egg, if you will, our bounty or our harvest gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Maybe for you it's when you log on through your bank app with your phone, you're like, wait a minute, that number's getting smaller. And it's getting smaller. And you know now there, there's too much weak and there's not at the end. It's like, wait a minute. Okay. All of a sudden this fear kicks in. Right? So the cycle begins to take place. So we have, we consume. Right? And all of a sudden we, we lack. And all of a sudden this fear comes in. And then this may sound weird. And actually for so many people it's a sickness. 
So what we do is we medicate the fear by consuming more. And all of a sudden, this, this scarcity cycle is all of a sudden doing its thing. And, and if you're wondering, well, is that even true? Let me remind you of four to five months ago with the whole TP shortage of 2020. That wasn't that long ago. I mean, let's think about this. Now, I like to think that I'm a fairly educated man, right? I've got a degree on my wall, and so that makes some sense, right? You're like, I, really? This guy does? I do, right? But for the best of I, I can't figure out that a pandemic hits, and in our mindset of everything that might run out, right? So, man, what about bottled water? No, nah, we're good. We're good. We, we got plenty of bottled water. What about, no, nah, we're good. Toilet paper, gone. And every American, including, right, including us, well, we got to hunt it down. We got to hunt. We got to retrieve. We got to get our toilet paper and we got to hold on to it. What's that all about? It's a fear. It's going to be gone. And then what happens? Well, then you know what happens, right? You got to get really creative. So Forbes, which is honestly a, a pretty good you know, news, they, they typically zoom into to business and to technology. Um, they use their creative thinking, and back in April, they came up with a toilet paper calculator. It's still alive, by the way, so if you need to use this tool, feel free. Just Google it. You'll find it. And so I, I used my family as an experiment with this, and so it's going to be on the screen. This toilet paper calculator what you do is you look at your life. You say, well, I've got four in my household, and, you know, we've got, I, I, by the way, and I don't mean to brag as the Wilsons, okay, but I just ordered a 48-pack of toilet paper for the Wilsons. And that's you're probably going, boy, they're doing pretty good at the Wilsons. Yeah, we can, we can hold down our own toilet paper, okay? So I ordered a 48-pack. You're like, well, how long would that last us? This calculator tells you. So you do right there. we got 64 days until we got to worry, okay? And I was going to make a joke until it hits the fan, but, you know, that would be a little, that's still a good, right? Okay, so 64 days. Now, here's what I love about this. If you look a little low, it even has a button on if you want to share this on your Facebook page. Who in their right mind would do this? Just for all my family and friends, the Wilsons have 64 days of TP left. We're doing okay. Now, if you want to zoom in a little better, there's actually advanced options. This is where you get really personal. Look at these advanced options. This is, this is on Forbes. Look at this. So it has these things. I can't even read. Okay, uh, here it is. Average numbers of wipes per trip. I mean, if you really want to calculate this out, it's the end of the world. We've got to make sure we're safe. Uh, sheets per wipe. Sheets on a roll. Right? I mean, if you really want to get personal, you can, you can really extend this thing out. Now, here's the crazy thing. There was never a shortage. Ever. What was there? There was a fear which led to more consuming, and all of a sudden the scarcity cycle kicks in. And the whole time, you know, Angel Soft and Cottonelle's going, bring it on, baby, because they saw record sales because Americans couldn't get enough toilet paper. You know, it's interesting, this fear. The Bible is full of lessons that we can learn this year during this pandemic. Um, if you've got scarcity, uh, God's calling us to live in a different word, and that word is abundance. And I'm not even going to put the definition on the screen because it's just, it's just too simple. Abundance means there's plenty. Abundance means that there's plenty of it, there's more where that came from, kind of God's got this kind of a thing. That, that's abundance. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more, now here's this word, abundantly, right? God creates all. He provides all. He's the giver of all. He doesn't run out. 
God doesn't run to the pantry and go, we're out of toilet paper. He's got enough. Abundantly beyond all that we ask of him, ask or think, according to the power that works within us. And here's the point I want to make on this. If you are a follower of Christ, this idea of scarcity, it's fiction. It's not real. It's fear-mongering. And the truth is that we should understand that what we have in God and what we have with the Holy Spirit living in our lives, that should be exponentially enough for us regardless of what we see in the headlines or what we hear from the government. He should be enough for us. Abundance has nothing to do with what's in your bank account. It has everything to do with God, the God you serve, and how we think. In fact, the words of Jesus He speaks very clearly. This is John chapter 10, verse 10. Now, he's speaking of our enemy. Now, Scripture is very clear that in this world we have an enemy. Um, It refers to him as a prowling lion that, that is roaring around, and he wants to devour you. He wants to devour your family, anything that matters to the heart of God. And then Jesus is speaking about this, and you're going to see this key word again, John 10, 10. He says the thief, right, that's our spiritual enemy, the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy and then jesus says i come that you might have life and here's this word and have it abundantly so what i want to talk about today quite honestly is how do we protect ourselves from falling into that scarcity mindset and rather living in the abundant mindset that god's calling us not to live with this closed fitch i can't do this i gotta hold on to it there's not enough toilet paper to go around don't come over i can't do it now i hear you're running short or roll let me give you a rule. It's, and, and it's not just toilet paper, but you'll get my point. He's calling us to live open-handed. He provides. He'll take care. He wants to bless other people through what he's giving us. And so we're going to be in an Old Testament scripture. This is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Um, now, I grew up in a single mom home for a while until my mom remarried. And we had plenty of those days of where's the water bill going to come from and and where's the food going to come from and so I grew up eating my fair share of government cheese and government peanut butter and all of that fun stuff and so if you find yourself in a situation where okay God where's this going to come from magically and I can't really afford this and my heart goes out to single moms and if this is you I pray this gives you encouragement this is 2nd Kings verse 4 and God's going to show us how to protect ourselves from the scarcity mindset. So starting in verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 4, it'll be on the screen. It'll also be on your, um, your screen at home. So it says, One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha. Now let's, let's push pause. That's a, that's a lot to consume real quick. So it says, The widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha. Long story short, Elisha is a prophet. He had a group of men that worked with him. If you want to dare say like his staff, that's not really the right word, but they worked with him. One of those individuals died. His widow is this woman. Her husband died. Okay, so he, she, she goes to Elisha and she cried out. My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. I mean, he really believed in God. But now, this is so sad, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. We'll dig into that in a minute. Elisha hears this need and he responds, well, what what can I do to help? Now, I love the fact that he didn't wait for that typical Christian response because that Christian response is what? Well, if you could just pray for me. And I'm not downplaying how powerful prayer is. 
but that should be a given, right? As I'm praying for you, what can I do to meet your need? And so he asks this question, what can I do to help? Before she even responds, boom, here comes another question. And he says, well, tell me, what do you have in the house? Like, what? Kind of another way to ask this, well, what do we have to work with here? Well, what do you have inside that we'll, we'll, we'll actually sell on Craigslist? You know, what, what can we take from all of your stuff and, and put it on Marketplace on Facebook and get you some cash up in here? What, what, can, what do we have to work with? So he says, what do you have in the house? Now, now look how she responds. She goes, well, nothing at all. Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. So what you're about to see is God's about to do a miracle out of something so small and insignificant in her eyes that it's revolutionary and radical, and it shows us the heartbeat of God. Now, let me give you a little context of what's going in. We've been talking like the last four or five weeks about context is king. You've got to understand what's going on in the culture, what's going on in that story. Don't just read one verse. Read some some scope here to know what's kind of going on. What we do know... In this time, in the nation of Israel, the king of Israel at this point was not really a good dude. Um, in fact, is he basically led the entire nation to worship false gods. That's kind of his legacy. He actually took them away from the one true God, and they're worshiping these false idols. Now, what we know about this widow is his, his or her wife, her husband, excuse me, he was faithful. Because she said very clear, that the, my husband who worked for you, who feared the Lord, Right, He had a genuine relationship with the one true God because he was still hanging out with and working with Elisha. What we also know is what, what I'm assuming here is chances are um, this woman could be very upset with God. I mean, just put yourself in her shoes. Okay, so wait a minute, God. You're telling me my family stayed faithful. The whole nation is moving away from you, and it wasn't the popular choice to stay faithful to you, but we did. And what did we get out of that? My husband died. And then on top of that, Mosaic Law said if you owed a massive debt to somebody, let's just say it's a bank, and I'm not even going to give a bank name because I don't want to slam a bank, but if you have a lot of money to a bank, let's say your mortgage note is with this particular bank, and back then if you couldn't pay that, they would just come knock on the door, and they wouldn't take your car, take your, here's what they do. They'd say, okay, Mosaic Law says that we can take you or your kids and we can force you to be slaves until you've worked off the debt. That was law. And so this woman is saying, okay, listen to me, Elisha. I can't pay the bills. They're about to take my kids. That's the context of this story. This woman is freaking out. If you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm not that far, but I'm freaking out. I'm scared to death of when's that next job going to come. I'm scared to death of where's the paycheck going to come. I'm scared to death of what happens when unemployment runs out. I pray that this message speaks to you because we don't serve the God of the United States of government. We serve Yahweh, the one true God. And what we're going to learn today is he is a provider, and we're going to learn about his provision. In fact, I want to give you uh, three fundamental truths. And these truths were back then. These truths are still today because God never changes. And so if you find yourself in the same boat, here's three truths. Number one, and this is so important, never downplay what you have. D- don't look at your life and go, well, all I got is a little being a Craigslist. I could do this. Maybe I could sell. You're like, well, I don't really have stocks and bonds and, and, and 401k options. I don't have any of that. Never downplay what God has blessed you with. This woman, what did she say? He says very clearly, what do you have in the house? 
Nothing. And then it's like, wait a minute, wait. Oh, I do. I have way back in the pantry, I got that, I got that little flask of olive oil. And she goes, I mean, it's not much, though, right? And if you're wondering, well, okay, olive oil, what's so special about that? Now, we use olive oil today in some aspects in the same way. They would use it for food, right? Maybe they could dip bread in it or they could you know, sprinkle it on a salad. I mean, we could use that too. But olive oil back then was kind of the all-purpose everything, right? They would use it for medicine. They would use it to make soap. They would use it to light their lamps in the evening. So this sucker is very profitable if you had a lot of this. She didn't. She had a very small flask of olive oil. And so in her mind, this isn't even anything. I mean, the way she even phrases it, well, there's nothing, oh, except for that one little flask of olive oil. That's all she has. I want you to notice the difference there, right? Here's what it does is um, abundance asks the question, what do you have? Scarcity is focused on what you lack. She is definitely in the scarcity mindset. She's not seeing this as anything positive. She's just seeing this as, I just happen to have a little bit of olive oil left. Now, what we're going to see is God do some radical things. And what we're going to learn today is that, first of all, we should never downplay what God has blessed you with. Second thing, second truth this morning <clears throat> is God will often take the insignificant, the little bitty, what's this poor, and make it extravagant. Right? He does this all throughout Scripture. He takes little things that are really kind of a, eh, what is that going to do, and blows things up. I'm like, what in the world? I saw this uh, firsthand. When I first got married, my wife came from a family of farmers up in the Panhandle in uh, Pampa, Texas, and I was blown away. I was kind of a city boy, but I was intrigued by the farm life, but I, I wasn't a farmer by any I was ignorant and green and dumb. And so the first time I saw their property of 3,500 acres, it was massive. It was crazy big. And then when I learned they farmed like two-thirds of that property, oh, okay, that's cool, farmer and tractors and John Deere, and I, you know, I don't know anything about this. So they show me one year, um, as they're about to start the planting season, they actually show me where all the seed is stored. And they actually, her papa bought an old um, train uh, car years and years ago and had it brought in and, and set in this area. And they would, every season, they would fill that full of seed and they would use that to plant the following year. And you see this train car, you're like, it's, it's, it's big, but so is 3,500 acres, right? I mean, is that really going to supply this? See, a farmer understands the potential of a seed. And when you look at a, a little tiny grain of wheat, it, it is not big. But then when you begin to realize that this can make an entire stalk of wheat, and every single year, it's just it's like clockwork. They would take all this seed, they would put it in the ground, and they would cultivate the earth, and they would trust God to bring the rain down, and then you have these sprouts, and the wheat begins to grow up, and then all of a sudden you have this incredible harvest, an incredible bounty. But what they would do, and this is a biblical principle, they would take some of that and hold it reserved for the following season. But God is not, not, not foreign to taking small things and making it explode big. And so understand this, the things that we think are insignificant in our lives, God can take those and make those extravagant. And so let's just set the stage here. <clears throat> so she's in her home, right? Uh, she's freaking out. She's talking to this holy man. And then she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. They're taking my kids. I'm freaking out here. And then look at verse 3. Elisha begins to talk with her. Here's what she says. He says, I want you to go out and borrow as many empty jars as you can find from your friends and your neighbors. Okay, so 
uh, you know, maybe she's going, well, I, I've got one or two jars. And, and you can imagine they didn't really have, you know, a big plethora of jars in their homes back then because they, they weren't wealthy. They, they were very poor. This is the low-income family. And so you can only imagine the kids are going out, knocking on doors. Hey, can we borrow some jars? As many as you got. The, 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 the holy man, right? Elisha's saying, go get jars. And so we're getting jars, and we're bringing them in. And just, just, so they get all of these jars. They bring them in. And then verse 4, this is key. It may not seem like much, but this is important. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Look at this. And then, <clears throat> here's what I want you to do. This may sound crazy. I want you to take that little flask of olive oil that, you know, is insignificant. You even forgot to mention that nothing, but I got that little bit of oil, right? Pour olive oil from your flask, and I want you just to pour it into the jar. Now, spoiler, I'm not performing a miracle right now, okay? You're going to have to use your imagination a little bit, all right? So I didn't have oil in here. I got a jar, but you're going to have to like, oh, wow, it's it's. We don't have that big of a budget for special effects, okay? So I, I'm going to pour this in. <clears throat> so look at this. It says, pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. It says, so verse 5, she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she was filling one after another. And, and I love this. So she has this little insignificant jar of oil, and, and this oil is worth money because this oil is worth so much. You can do anything with this oil. This would sell to anyone in her community. And so she takes this and she takes off. She's like, okay, Elisha. Now understand this. She's in the house by herself with the kids. Go inside, close the door. You and your sons do this. So, hey, Johnny, bring me a jar, would you? What are you doing, Mama? Oh, I'm, I'm going to, well, I don't really know what I'm doing here, son, but watch this. You know, she's like, we're going to be faithful to our holy God. He tells us to do this. So she takes it, and then she fills it all the way up, and the scripture says to the brim. So it's like all the way, okay, okay. And she puts it down, and she's like, okay, carefully put this one back. Okay, give me another jar. And they bring another jar in. She's like, well, I guess it's not empty yet. And she just keeps doing it. She keeps, it's going on and on and on and on. And what we see is that principle, right, that God takes the insignificant and often makes it extravagant. So check this out. The story from Jesus. Let's just push pause on the olive oil story because I, I love, 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 love this, this story. Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is Matthew 17 to kind of set the stage, right? If you're here this morning, if you're watching this morning and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a disciple. I'm a disciple. I find so much comfort in this as a disciple. So the disciples are out following Jesus and they're doing disciple work. So what are they doing? They're healing people. They're performing miracles. I mean, that would be incredible, right? And they're casting out demons. Okay, so they see this, this young boy who has a demon. And typically you see in Scripture, sometimes you're like, get out! And, and okay, and the demon runs off. You know, it's like, oh, that's easy, right? But then there's other times like this. that the disciples are all going, get out of him. And ain't nothing happening. No, no, I want you to get out. In the name of Jesus, get out. And they're like, I, you could almost picture like Matthew talking to Peter, like, I don't know, what did you, what are we doing wrong? Get out of them. And like, you got to raise your voice. Get out of them. Nothing's happening. And they're going, ah. Now, you ever been there as a disciple? And you're like, what you're trying to do just falls flat. So they go back to Jesus, like, Jesus, we don't know. That's a really strong demon. We don't know what's going on there. And so Jesus being Jesus, 
I don't think he even raised his voice. He walks over, <clears throat> hey, get out of him, and <laughs> gone, right? And they're going, why does it work for you but not work for us? That's the whole context of this verse. What you're going to see, it's a lack of faith. But I want you to see how he says this. So Jesus tells them, this is Matthew 17, verse 20. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. Now this, this stings a little bit, but, but understand his heart behind this. If you had even, if you had faith even as small, and then he says mustard seed, as small as a mustard seed. If you know, what is a mustard seed? It's where we get mustard from. Okay, you take a seed, you plant it, you get a mustard plant. They, 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 anyway, you get the idea. As small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, for nothing would be impossible. So, so what is the common denominator there? Faith. Let me show you a picture of a mustard seed. I was fresh out, so I couldn't bring any. But look at this mustard seed. It's one of the smallest seeds in the world. It's just a, it's nothing special. But again, God often takes what seems insignificant and makes it extravagant. And this illustration is one, it's an illustration with his disciples. They will never forget, wait a minute, didn't work last time, but I know it will work. This faith principle that God can do something amazing through this. I've got enough faith to get through this. And I will tell you this idea of God taking the insignificant and making it big and trust and faith. One of the absolute best principles you can see in Scripture to bring this to light is in the, the, is in the idea of the tithe. Now, if you're here this morning going, okay, here we go. This is a sermon about giving. It's not, so bear with me, okay? If you're wondering what a tithe is or what the tithe is, uh, it's found in the Old Testament. Tithe refers to a tenth or, or one-tenth, and it refers to a tenth of the increase or a tenth of your income, okay? Now, this is way back in Scripture. This is found in the book of Malachi. I used to have a professor in college. He always called it to joke around. He called it Malachi, the Italian prophet. This is not Malachi. Okay? It's pronounced Malachi. This is chapter 3, verse 10. Um, here's what it says. Now, this is predated Mosaic law by 400 years. Now, I want you to watch this principle. He says, bring the whole tithe, again, one-tenth of your increase or of your income, into the storehouse. And you may say, well, what is a storehouse? The storehouse has always been this picture of the Old Testament temple or the New Testament church. It's, it's this. It's the church. And then he says, bring the, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Because it matters to God that there's this resource of the local church. Okay, now look at this. Then he says, test me in this. Now, you may say, well, my grandma Alma always said we don't test God. And, and she'd be right. Except for when God says, sorry, God trumps grandma Test me in this. And so here's what he says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing on you, you wouldn't even have enough room to store it all. So a couple questions. Okay, so obviously this is talking about, okay, you're saying we're supposed to give 10% to the church and 10% back to God. Yes, but table that for a minute. A couple questions. Why in the world would God choose a percentage? Because if the local church as a whole needed money, think about this. Why wouldn't God say, hey, it's a $100,000 entry fee, everybody. $100,000, give it to the church, then you're honoring God. Now, if he said that, first of all, let's be honest, this church is like, I'm out. <laughs> we don't have the kind of money. Maybe West Plano, they could handle that. Kind of, well, we, yeah, it's not, this is not us, right? So why the percentage? 
And I love this about God because what he does is he finds a way to make sure this is not a rich thing or a poor thing. This is a faith thing. And anyone can do this. And so what he says is give 10% and I'm going to bless the rest. It's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. So what are the other questions? Okay, so why 10%? Why not 90%? Well, again, the, the principle we just talked about, because God loves to take the insignificant and do extravagant things through it. And so you say, well, I, I don't make six figures, right? I, I, I work at the old Chick-fil-A, and I'm making chicken sandwiches, and I'm giving them out to, to, to Christians, right? Let's call it what it is, right? I'm, it's a holy chicken sandwich is going out there for $8 a piece. And I make minimum wage. So what is my minimum wage one-tenth going to do compared to someone who's making, you know, six figures one-tenth? And the truth is, it's the same sacrifice for the individual. And this is a beautiful concept from God. It's this idea that I'm going to test God and I'm going to trust God. He's going to bless the rest by giving to this. Now, what's crazy is you may say, well, okay, wait a minute. Um, maybe when God finally gives what I need, then I can afford it. Um, let me just tell you, that concept is so flawed in so many ways. Um, I, I tell my kids all the time, if you can't give 10% to God now when you're making nothing, um, imagine when you're making something and that check gets a whole lot bigger. Right? We, we learn the principle of faithfulness and giving to God early in our lives because it, it's, it's not going to just magically fix itself over the years. Um, so this idea of the tithe, it, it absolutely follows this idea of the mustard seed and growing. It absolutely follows this idea that, that what God gives to us, we take it. And that's just a little insignificant thing. And so we give it. This woman took the insignificant. And what she's seeing happen before her eyes, what a great testimony for her kids, by the way, right? I mean, her kids are going, Mom, are you, are you, are you serious? And, and she, they, you, you know they went to their deathbed strong believers in God because what they're seeing God do here, right? what a testimony. Uh, third thing, and this is so important, we're not going to downplay what he gives to us. and We're going to trust the fact he takes the insignificant and he makes it extravagant. And number three, God's abundance will often follow acts of faith. Acts of faith. This, this, is, this, is, this is where the rubber meets the road. So this woman, here she is. Let's play this out. She goes to Elisha. What's going on? My, my husband's dead. They're taking my kids. What do you have? I don't, oh, I got this. Go get some jars. Go inside. Close the door. And, and I want you just to begin to pour and to pour. Just, just fill up all those jars. Just keep pouring. And so she's pouring. And I want you to see how this plays out in verse 6. It says, soon every container was full to the brim. Again, the brim. And so you could figure she's just pulling it and she's pouring it and then she's like, she's like, okay, Johnny, give me one more. Well, Mama, we're all out of jars. And she turns around and she sees this room full of jars overflowing with this precious olive oil. She says, bring me another jar. She says to her sons, well, there aren't any more, they told her. And the olive oil then stopped flowing. So check this out in verse 7. When she told the man of God what had happened, push pause, he wasn't an eyewitness. She had to go tell the man of God what happened. What did he say? Take it, go inside, close the door. You and your kids go in there and experience God in this way. Trust God. Show your children. Do this thing. This is a very personal thing. I also believe because if she had done that, 
Here, here's what this commentary says. This is a, a, a study note in my Bible. You probably have one of these. Here's what it says. She didn't, or, or he, Elisha wasn't there with her because if he was there, she would probably would have given credit to the prophet for the miracle. But her faith in Elisha would have gone way up, not, not in the one true God and only her God. And this was a miracle of personal provision from God to them. And don't underestimate this. Whatever you're going through, Understand the fact that you are not alone, that God's with you, and this is a personal, we're going to watch God show up and to provide for us and to provide for our family. And when the last jar was filled, it said the olive oil stopped flowing. So let's keep going at verse 7. <clears throat> and the prophet said to her, he says this, he says, Now sell the olive oil, pay off your debts. Right, we're going to follow Dave Ramsey style. Let's get rid of that credit immediately. We're going to pay up all the debt. And then I love this. Because of her act of faith, it brings blessings to her and her family. And he says, and you and your sons can live on what's left over. Now, we have no idea. Is this generational wealth? Did they open an olive you know, factory? We have no idea, right? But we do know that her and her sons were provided for. But that followed their act of faith. I, I love the way this commentary puts this. I can't even word this better, so I'm just going to read this to you. Just let's listen to these words. This is so. This was so me when I was young. This was so me when I was young. So many people want to live this life of generosity, and so we have this attitude of God. If you could just give me more, anybody here? Anybody? Is this me? Okay, this guy then I'd be able to give more. If you could just give me more, then I could be generous and give more. And God's response to us is this, and I love his, his, the way he phrases this. Sure, God says, you just have to have the faith to pour. Just have to have the faith to pour. We try to help him see our way, but, but God, if you'll just give me more, then <laughs> the author says it doesn't work that way with God. Because if we don't have the faith to first pour, then we're going to think that all of this is actually for us and us alone. This is actually destructive for us and usually leads to a life of things and being tied to a life of materialism. Catch this. I love how he says this. God loves you enough to not subject you to that. And so he will wait patiently until you have the faith to pour. And then the God who created all things is the one who brings about more Biblical generosity first begins with a step of faith. And so, uh, please know, as a church, we will never harp on you. Why aren't you given? Um, but I do want to teach you that the principle behind giving and tithe is an act of faith in God. That he will take care of whatever you have left. In fact, he will abundantly go above and beyond and flood. And it says uh, more than the, the barns can hold. But it starts with sacrificially giving. And I believe this is why, why Paul says this, and I'm going to begin to close with this. In 2 Corinthians 9, he says, I need you to give joyfully. This, this is not a have to. This is a I get to. I'm going to trust God and give to him. And then God is able to bless you. Here's that word again, abundantly. It's not this clenched fist. It's this, my God is in control. I'm not waiting on a stimulus check to get through. No, no, no. My heavenly Father, the one who created the mountains, I'm pretty sure he can handle my water bill. Right? I'm trusting with this abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Look at this. You will be made rich in every way. Why? Not for us, 
so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us it will result in thanksgiving to God. So the more and more I read this scripture on this incredible story of the faith of this widow um, as this incredible testimony to her kids, it really, there's an image that kind of came to my mind. You may say, well, okay, having a hard time relating to oil and bottle, I, I get that. But let's just talk about this. Let's talk about a jar, okay? So if you look at yourself as a jar, before you knew Jesus, you were empty, right? There was no life. There was no wealth in here. And what does Jesus do? He comes along, right? It, it's simple mathematics. He fills us up to the brim. And now we are so precious. We are so valuable. We are so loved. I mean, you're like, oh, my gosh. And what are we to do? Hoard it? Mm-mm. We don't do that. He says, no, no, there's plenty more that comes from people. There's plenty more. And as you, in all the times, we're going through a dang epidemic. We're going through a pandemic. We're going through a crisis of all the time in the world. It is time for the Holy Church to stand up and say, let me tell you something. My Heavenly Father has got this. I realize you're scared. I realize there's fear. I realize that scarcity cycle is on the toilet paper. Forget all that junk. Let me show you something. And you say, my life was filled to the brim. And what I'm going to do is I want to share it with you. See, that's what God's calling us to do. Not, not to take this and, and hide it. Right? He doesn't say scarcity. He says abundantly. And now more than ever is our chance to go out and point the world to the one true Savior and say, you know what, all of this, whether it's going to be here a year from now, 10 years, I don't know. I don't really care. Because what I do know is my Heavenly Father is still in control. He's got a bright future for me, and I would love to share that with you. This is our chance to really shine as disciples around this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that through it all, oh, man, we never have to be alone. And, and that may not sound like much to someone, but to others, it is everything. There are those in this room who are a single mom. There are those in this room who are unemployed. Those are those in this room who are fighting a health crisis. There are those in this room separated from their families. And the idea of being alone is terrifying. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are here with us. You love us. You take care of us. Father, we thank you for your word that we can find encouragement, that we can find accountability, that we can see these incredible true stories of the way you've provided for people. And then you say you're going to provide for us as well. And so, Father, as we leave this place, I pray that you would help us to feel your blessing and then to help us Help us walk in the steps of trust, because that's not easy. It, it has not come natural for us, but you tell us. You tell us flat out, trust me in this. So, Father, help us trust you in this. The assurance that whatever we give you, that be our, our, our income, our, our time, our, our service, our heart, you're going to give back so much more than we give. And, Father, I pray that you would just use this church, Reclamation Church, those who are in this room, those who are watching online, that you would use everyone here to continue to point people to your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Wow, what a great, great message from Pastor Tom Wilson. Hey, if something stood out to you in the message today or, or you need some prayer, 
go to our website, re.church, and you can tap on our prayer request tab. We not only want to hear your prayers, but we want to hear what you're celebrating here at the moment so we can celebrate with you too. If you have any questions about Christian life or you'd like to give us a topic for our discussions episode every Thursday, give us an email at podcast at re.church. On Thursday, me and Katie Rose are going to be doing our discussions episode on the God of more, and I cannot wait for that conversation. It's going to be so awesome. You guys have a great rest of your week. I'll see you on Thursday.